We're going to use these moments as to be called into worship this morning by um, a, a responsive reading, call to worship, and I invite you to stand and join me. It's on screen. Okay. These are words from Psalm 68. Bless our God, O people. Let the sound of God's praise be heard. Who has kept us among the land of the living. And has not let our feet slip. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in the unison prayer? Here we are, Lord, filled with life and breath. We are your people, alive and well by your grace. You know our paths and the help we will need to keep our feet firm. In this time of worship, equip us to be your faithful followers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a day we've been planning for and praying for since March. Uh, we're calling it Miracle Sunday uh, because we as a congregation are going to respond to the leading of God's Spirit to, and give a special offering later in today's service to pay down or eliminate $1.1 million of indebtedness on this facility so that we can move on and do some things that God is calling us to do. Uh, someone who grew up in this church who no longer lives in the community called me this week to tell me that he's been praying for us and that, uh, that God will be honored in what we do today. Uh, he also reflected on a time many, many, many years ago when the congregation first moved out here to this property. Uh, uh, at that time, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't much out this far away from downtown DeWitt. But the congregation stood on this piece of property and they gave their financial gifts in order to purchase this land that would one day see a new church built uh, here in, on this corner. And that story meant a lot to me because sometimes I think we forget that there are others who gave sacrificially to create a legacy uh, for us today here to worship God. And now it's our turn to build that legacy for future generations. Our teaching series this month has been called Getting Ready for a Miracle. And today we're going to look at a story in uh, Mark's gospel about some people who dared to risk everything to be with Jesus. And the psalmist has told us that this is the day that the Lord has made, and that is indeed true. It is a day that God has created for us, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, how good it is to gather this day in your presence to worship you. <clears throat> we come as those who listen and wait to hear your word to us, as those who want to talk with you in prayer and as those who desire to express our faith through our actions. So help us to be fully aware of your spirit and your presence in this time together. Draw us closer to yourself. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible this morning, we're in Mark's Gospel in the New Testament, the second chapter looking at a story in the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 2. Here in Mark's Gospel, we learn that Jesus began his very public ministry in the city of Capernaum. He entered the town and immediately began to preach about the kingdom of God. In chapter 1, 
tells us that Jesus demonstrated his great power in that city. He cast out demons. He healed diseases of every sort. In verse 32, we learn that Jesus must have healed nearly every sick person in town. But his miracles began to eclipse his message. The people flocked to Jesus to see what he would do next. Each miracle left them hungry for more. And to escape this frenzy, Jesus and four of his disciples left Capernaum and began a preaching tour through the area of Galilee. Now eventually they returned to Capernaum. The town was an important place in the life and ministry of our Lord. Capernaum served as the northern headquarters for his ministry. It was here that he put his greatest healing power on display. It was here that he preached with power. It was here in Capernaum that Jesus made his very public claims to be the Messiah. But Capernaum had a problem. This city valued the miracles more than they did the message or the Messiah. They wanted the spectacular, and they rejected our Lord's offer of salvation. As a result, Jesus pronounced a curse on this city. It's recorded for us in Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter, beginning with verse 8. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he said, If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you, heal the sick, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be a better off than such a town on judgment day. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, for if the miracles I did in you had been done in the wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. And then he said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Now here's Jesus' point. Those who have heard the gospel message and reject it will face God's judgment. Those who have received much from the hand of God and squander it will also face God's judgment. Some very sobering words from Jesus. So Jesus and his disciples returned to Capernaum and were told that they enter into the house. Now this is possibly a reference um, to the home of Peter. They entered the town with no fanfare, but word soon got out that Jesus was back in town. So when the people heard that the miracle worker had returned, they flocked to the house where he was staying. Now, you may not know this, but churches have to deal with all kinds of rumors. Some of them good, some of them not so good. Wouldn't it be great if the rumor that got out about this church or any church was that Jesus shows up big 
in this place. That miracles still do happen. That people are healed. That the community is transformed by cause of our presence. When that kind of word gets out on the community grapevine, even dead churches start coming alive again. Because Jesus has drawing power. Jesus himself said in John's gospel, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Now, I want to sketch for you this story in Mark's gospel, the second chapter, about Jesus. Jesus is in the house. And crowds have come to see him and see what he will do. The amazing, uh, amazing things always happen when Jesus is in the house when Jesus shows up. So let's look into this story and watch as the events of that day unfold. And I want you to notice two things primarily in this story. The first thing I want us to notice is about Jesus and his preaching. Anyone can draw a crowd. Wrestlers draw a crowd. Musicians draw a crowd. Celebrities, sports figures, even preachers sometimes draw a crowd. It's what you do with the crowd that makes the difference. Jesus could have used this opportunity to increase his celebrity status in Capernaum. He could have performed a few miracles and the people would have been eating out of his hands. After all, this is probably why they came. They came to see the Lord work some more miracles. They came to see him do the extraordinary. Imagine their surprise and their disappointment when Jesus began to preach to them. You know, I've been in some churches where the preaching of God's word is mostly an afterthought. I've been in churches where preaching was poorly done or extremely dull and boring. I've been in churches where the congregation was excited about the times when there was some kind of special service and there was no preaching. But to Jesus, the message was more important than the miracles. We don't know what he preached that day, but we can safely say that he probably reached back into the pages of the Old Testament and preached about the same things he had preached the first time he was in town, about the kingdom of God and about the power of God and about the salvation of God. Preaching was central to the life and the ministry of Jesus. And preaching can be a primary method for reaching into the hearts of those who are spiritually lost. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 14 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world will never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. So preaching also is a way to help those who desire to grow in their faith and to grow stronger. The ministry of teaching is important for us here at Redeemer. That's true in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry, in all of our small groups and adult ministries. The primary business of this church is not to fill our pews and it's not to uh, increase our bank account, but to proclaim the message of our Lord. That's what we're all about, and that's our primary business. But I want you to see a second thing that, uh, about Jesus, and that is his power. Right in the middle of this preaching service, something rather spectacular happens. Four men 
bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They believe that if they can just get this man to Jesus, Jesus can heal his body, but when they arrive at the house, the crowd is so large that they can't get through the door. Now, houses in that day were usually constructed with flat roofs, and a set of stairs on the side of the house allowed access to the roof, which was used much like we would use a deck today. These roofs were usually made by laying timbers across the top of the house. These timbers were then covered by a layer of branches that was covered by a layer of clay tiles, and finally a thick layer of mud was placed on top and it was rolled and pressed until it was very hard and rainproof. So here is this humorous scene taking place. Jesus is preaching in the house, and four men carry their friend up the stairs onto the roof of the house, and once they are there, they start digging through the roof until they have made an opening large enough to lower their friend into the house. Now, can you imagine the scene in the house? As Jesus is preaching, the sound of digging is heard overhead, and after a short time, dirt and wood begin to fall on the crowd gathered below, and blue sky breaks through the darkness, and a man is lowered through the roof into the room. I wonder what Peter, the homeowner, must have been thinking. He probably thought, you know, he wasn't so crazy about seeing his house torn up this way. He may have been wondering if his homeowner's insurance would cover, you know, the cost of repairing such a, such a break-in. But Peter couldn't stop, uh, couldn't stop it. The same crowd that kept these four men and their paralyzed uh, friend out of the house uh, kept Peter in the house. He couldn't get out. I wonder what Jesus must have thought. Imagine, I imagine there was a smile on his face as he realized what was happening, and I guess he might have been even a little amused by this whole thing. But I also wonder what the crowd thought. Surely this had never happened in a worship service before. They were no doubt amazed at what was taking place. You see, it's always a blessing when our Lord invades our order of worship with his presence. I do not always understand how God works and how God moves, but I am glad that he does. Some, something wonderful always takes place when Jesus is in the house. Now let me say a quick word about these four who brought their friend to Jesus. These men were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to see Jesus. First, they dared to do what was difficult. It was not easy to carry that man up on the roof. It was a difficult task. But the Bible says Jesus saw their faith. Faith is something that starts in our heart, but then it works its way to the outside. Faith always puts us to work, or it's not faith. Secondly, they dared to do the unusual. They were willing to think outside the box. For them, it was not business as usual that day. It took ingenuity to think of breaking up the roof in order to get their friend to Jesus. And then third, they dared to, dared to do what was costly. They began to, they might have had to, you know, even pay for that roof on Peter's house, but it would have been worth it to them. You see, these men were willing to do whatever it took to bring their friend to Jesus, and that same heart needs to beat inside of each and every one of us. You know, when we birthed this idea of a Miracle Sunday 
late last winter, we dared to do something that was difficult. We dared to do something that seems unusual. We dared to do what was costly. And while we've had a lot of support for this million dollar challenge, it's also made some people very nervous. How will our congregation respond? Will it push people away? Are we being too bold to expect God to do a miracle here at Redeemer? See, I personally believe that God planted this idea in us. And I believe that if we could have done this without him, we would have done it by now. And I believe that he is challenging us today to do something that we've never done before, and that is to trust him to accomplish a really, really big goal. In a few moments, we're going to invite you to respond to whatever God has put on your heart today to do. There is a card on your seat today that gives several options. If you came prepared to make a financial gift, you can do that. If you're not able to make a financial gift at this time, but you might be able to do that later, you can do that. If you've already given your financial gift, thank you for stepping up in faith and helping us to create a better future. And if you can't make a financial gift today, but you're willing to stand by this church in prayer, there's a place on the card for that kind of commitment of support as well. You see, everyone in this congregation can participate in some way. And if it happens to be your first time or second time here today, and you don't have a clue what's going on, uh, that's okay too. We're just glad you're here. You see, this Miracle Sunday is an opportunity for our congregation to reduce or eliminate $1.1 million of indebtedness on this facility because it's going to put us in a better position to do whatever future ministry God is calling us to do in this community. But let me give you one final thought on our story from Mark's Gospel. It's interesting that when the paralyzed man is lowered into the house, Jesus witnesses the extent and the depth of his friend's faith. They have demonstrated faith in who Jesus was and his ability to do something that was impossible. And then Jesus does something amazing. He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> now, wait a minute. This man was brought to Jesus for healing. And Jesus is dealing with his sins. Why is it? Well, it's very possible that this man was paralyzed because of some physical ailment, but also because of some spiritual problem in his life. See, Jesus healed the physical ailment, but he also recognized this man's deeper need for spiritual healing. Sometimes we too think uh, that our physical and our material problems in this life are the greatest problems we face, the source of our paralysis, but Jesus knows the truth. The greatest need in your life and in my life today, no matter what we're facing, is not physical and it's not material. Our greatest need has always been and will always be spiritual. And the only place we find help is in Jesus Christ. It's true for people and it's true for churches. If Jesus gave the command and the paralytic continued to lie there, then Jesus would have been proven a fraud. But if the man gets up as he did, it would prove that Jesus possessed the power to heal. A power, by the way, that was one of the calling cards of the Messiah. 
So Jesus heals this man, and the paralyzed man gets up, and he picks up his mat, and he elbows his way through the crowd, and he leaves. He simply gets up and walks away. His heart was healed first, and then his body followed. And that's the way things go. When the Lord forgives our sins, we become, according to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, a new person. Our inside is changed and our walk is rearranged and what the Lord does in our heart always shows up on the outside of who we are. Let me say that again. What the Lord does in our heart always shows up on the outside of who we are. Genuine faith is always, always something that can be seen by others. Now in just a moment, we're gonna invite you to come and bring your Miracle Sunday envelopes forward. And while we do that, we're gonna be singing, our uh, worship team's gonna come out and we're gonna be singing God of the City. Since we've had a baseball theme through this whole campaign, we thought it might be appropriate if we place our gifts in a large baseball container. Isn't that cool? Right here out down front. And again, if you've already given or you just can't give today or you choose not to give, please know that it is not our intention to embarrass you in any way. There are some of us who God has enabled to give and there are some of us whom God is calling uh, us to pray for this congregation and there are some that God has opened doors for us to serve in other ways and it takes all of us to make this ministry happen week in and week out. But if you have an envelope that you'd like to put in today, either your commitment to pray or to give, I invite you to come individually or as a family during the song and then return to your seat. And if you can't walk to the front, please, uh, some of our ushers will be here and someone will help you with that gift. But first, we're gonna pray. And we're going to thank God for what he is doing in this place today. Will you join me in prayer? You know how we are, Lord. We say that we are willing to give our all to you. But the reality is that we bring so little to the one who has given us every good thing that we experience in this life. And even gave his own life so that we might know peace and joy and hope in ours. God of extravagant grace, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, what can we offer you in return? Surely nothing less than a similar extravagance. So today we simply ask that you would take what we have, our gifts and our lives, and remind us that the world abounds with your miracles of love and, and hope. Open our eyes to see them and our hearts to know that these are gifts from you and not of our own making. Bless and accept now these gifts and our lives as a response to your gracious acts toward us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.